0: Good morning. Our Old Testament reading this morning is selections from Genesis chapter 24. The speaker is the chief servant of Abraham in the house. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys, my master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for my son, for the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and my own clan and get a wife for my son. When I came to the spring today, I said, Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will Please grant success to the journey on which I have come. See, I am standing beside this spring. If a young woman comes out to draw water, water, and I say to her, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, Drink, and I will draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, Please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. Who had led me on the right road to get to the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son? Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me so that I may know which way to turn. So they called Rebecca and asked her, "Will you go with this man?" "I will go," she said. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, "Our sister." May you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the cities of their enemies. Then Rebecca and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebecca also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and said to the servant. Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the master told Isaac all that he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The reading from the New Testament is from Matthew chapter 11. We'll start on page 1513 in the Pew Bibles. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting at the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they said, he is a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Here end of the reading. May the Lord write these words upon our hearts with love and with understanding. Amen.
1: I pray, I meant to say in announcements, apparently my email got hacked again. And so if you get weird emails from me, I I know I can be an odd guy at times, but I'm not asking you for any money. Now, if it is an email asking you for uh, that someone is in urgent need of New York Mets tickets, that's probably a legitimate email from me. So um, I, I reset my password again, and so hopefully we will through that uh, email hacking. So, friends, let's pray together this morning. Lord, our hearts are open to you. Speak to us today, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. Due to my email being hacked, I um, wasn't really able to access my email for a while. I tried to reset my password. I got locked out. And then you have to make a password where you have a you know, a hieroglyphic and a capital letter and then 18 different kinds of punctuation and some Swahili and your social security number. And so I got locked out of that. And so as a result, I have to stand here before you and admit to you that until Friday, I forgot Pam was going to be here with us. <laughs> but this is how the Lord works. Because we've been journeying through the book of Genesis where we have these characters that are all models of what? Faith. Pam here today is representing Step of Faith. And you didn't know this, but you, you started to preach my sermon as you, were, as you were sharing. And so I appreciate that help, Pam. And, uh, and I want us to, to keep this concept of faith in the front of our minds as we take a few moments and journey through this text from Genesis 24. I think it's a good point uh, or, or a good reminder for us As we have been going through Genesis, remember uh, the Sunday right after Pentecost is the creation story. And then we moved into Noah and then to Abraham. And as you recall, the covenant that God makes with Abraham is really the overarching narrative of the whole biblical canon. That God calls forth a particular people. And remember, what are the two pieces of the covenant, broadly speaking? People and land. I'm going to bless you and make of you a great nation, even though Abraham and Sarah were quite elderly and unable to bear children in the natural. And that God would bring them into a land that they would possess as an inheritance. And then the covenant gets fleshed out further on in the book of Genesis. It gets ratified once again with Isaac and then with Jacob. And we see the covenant um, blossom in David and this promise from the line of David would come a Messiah who goes back to Abraham. So really, when we go through Genesis, we're, 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 we're doing some genealogical work, and we're following the history of one particular family, and how God called forth that family, and used them for his purposes. And so we've spent the last few weeks looking at Abraham. That God calls him to go, to leave his country, and to go to a land that he would be shown in time. He would get his information on a need-to-know basis. And as you recall, Hebrews chapter 11 holds up Abraham as an example of faith. He's a hero of faith. As imperfect as he was, as much as he at times lied and cheated, and that's recorded for us in the biblical story. Remember, he lies about Sarah being his wife, to us, my sister. Because he's afraid. But over and over again, uh, as fallible as a man as he was, he evidences great faith. And Isaac is born to him and Sarah when he is 100 and Sarah is 90. And now Sarah has died. The end of Genesis 23, Sarah dies. And for the covenant to, to continue for their, the people, for this lineage, to be able to go on, Isaac needs a wife. And so we have Genesis 24, and I encourage you, maybe sometime when you go home today um, or sometime in the week, read the whole chapter. Nelson just read Selections. It's 67 verses all about selecting a wife for Isaac. Now, I don't know about you, but I love these texts which give us all this strange detail. We think, God, why do we need to know all this? We need to to know that she put a ring in her nose and put certain clothes on and then she said this or that. Like, why is that important to us? What is? We'll examine that in just a moment. Before we do that, though, here's something to keep in mind as we hear and as we read these stories in Genesis. It's important when we come to the biblical text to differentiate between the descriptive and the prescriptive. Or the didactic and the descriptive. Just because something is recorded in the pages of the Bible does not mean that is that that particular incident or relationship is held up as a model for us to emulate. You follow me? So we know that Solomon had... I forget it, whether it was 700 wives and 300 concubines, or 300 wives and 700 concubines. Just because the Bible records that does not mean that that's what, men, that's what we should do. <laughs> that's, that's not. Just because it's described in the pages of Scripture does not mean that that is a prescribed practice for us. And having that differentiation, especially when we come to some of these texts with cultural practices that are so far removed from our own. For example, just because Jacob ends up with Rachel and Leah is not biblical endorsement of polygamy. You have to read the scripture with an eye toward the whole scripture, and, 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 and an eye toward its, its fuller, larger moral and ethical teaching. That's why it can be so dangerous And all we must do is examine very briefly the pages of history to discover what danger there lies within cherry-picking sections of Scripture out of context. So keep that in mind as we go through Genesis and as we move in a few uh, weeks into the book of Exodus, that just because it's recorded for us does not mean that it's held up as a standard for our living today. That's an important biblical interpretive piece. So we come here to Genesis 24. And Abraham is seeking a a wife for Isaac. One of the things that is going to be very interesting for us as we examine the life of Isaac and then move into Jacob and Esau and uh, Rachel and Leah is the deep dysfunction that is present in these Old Testament families. So here's something that may be an encouragement for you. If you think that your family is screwy, spend some time in Genesis. And I guarantee you, you'll leave the pages feeling better about your situation. They are messed up and we see this passive aggressiveness and Favoritism between this parent and this child. And deception and lying and violence. All sorts of stuff. And you sort of start to see that here. Well, actually, you really kind of see it a couple chapters ago. You start to sense a bit of, the, of the, the character, of the personality of these biblical characters. Isaac is often portrayed as sort of very passive. Everybody else does things for him, and he just kind of accepts it. So he is likely, at this point, looking at when Sarah died, well into his 30s. Doesn't have a wife yet. Now there were all sorts of stipulations about uh, wives and marrying and relationships in the ancient world, so it's so far different than ours. But you sort of get a sense from this text and from chapters that follow that Isaac just kind of lets things happen to him. Other people in his relational sphere kind of take the lead in all relationships. So Sarah has died, and Abraham calls his servant, his head servant, to go out, to go back to the homeland, and to find someone from their tribe as a wife for Isaac. And so the servant does, and he prays, but in that prayer to God for a wife for Isaac, he lays out all sorts of stipulations, all sorts of things that he's going to look for to be sure that this is the person that God has chosen for Isaac. And so he goes off, and you heard in some of the texts that Nelson read for us, meets this person, meets that person, he goes to the watering hole, and he's decided whoever's going to volunteer to bring water for the camels, that'll be the person. Now, there are all these details in the text that are easy to overlook. He has 10 or 12 camels with him. And after a long journey, it was common for a camel to be able to drink up to 20 gallons of water. So we're looking at between 200 and 240 gallons of water that he's going to hope that just some beautiful young maiden is going to want to haul up for these camels. And Rebecca enters and says, yeah, I'll do it. They're right there. That's uh, that's a clue for this servant that okay yeah maybe this is maybe this is the one. Then he meets the family. and Then he talks to the family, and things start to happen that confirm for this head servant that Rebecca is indeed the one that God has chosen for Isaac. And he takes her back to Isaac, and they begin their family. Now that is a very simple retelling of sixty seven. Fairly complicated verses. So, you're going to need to do your own homework later. I want to pull one thing from that story that I think is in keeping with this larger theme of faith in the patriarchs and in the story of the Old Testament. What does the servant do? He looks for one piece of confirmation and then he moves forward. But then he stops. And he assesses and he waits. He looks for one other piece of confirmation. And when that comes to him, not him chasing it or fabricating it, but when it comes to him, then he takes another step. And then he waits. And something else happened that's further confirmation. And so he takes another step. I think one of the greatest issues in the Christian life, both individually and corporately within the church, is we're not willing to take step one until we already know what step two is going to be. We don't want to take step one until we know what step two is. And we find in Genesis chapter 12, when we're introduced to this man named Abraham, God says, you're going to go out to a land I'll show you. And what does he do? He doesn't say, okay, God, I need to know where it is. Take, get, take my iPhone, put the coordinates in the maps. Let me know what I'm going to need to take for provision, how long it's going to take to get there, who should I bring, what's it going to be like when I get there, what's the temperature going to be like, is it going to be humid like New Jersey, or is there going to be nice and cool like the coast of Maine where I'm from? <laughs> he doesn't ask any of that, he goes. And he gets the next piece that he needs, and then he takes another step. And he gets the next piece that he needs, and he takes another step. And friends, how often do we People of faith ourselves, following God, the same God who called Abraham, who made a covenant with him, who formed his family, who then blessed him and Sarah with a son Isaac, and who continued to shape and to mold their lives as Isaac and Rebekah formed their relationship and their family. We're following the same God who's calling us to take the first step, to not worry about step 2 and 3 and 10 and 12, but to just, in confidence and trust in the one who has called us, which is what faith is, take the first step. Matthew 11, Jesus is recorded as saying, Come to me, all you who labor and are laid down by burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy. We have two things here. We have Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. And in the churches, we talk a lot about Jesus as Savior, but living out Jesus as Lord is another thing entirely. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. It's Jesus as Savior. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, submit to me. Take my yoke upon you. Following Jesus as Lord Submitting to Him as Lord means that we give over control of our own lives and we are now on a need-to-know, step-by-step basis. That's the life of faith. That's the life that we have been called to live out in the world. That's what God is looking for. And friends, how easy it is to get so caught up in what is around us, on things happening, things that maybe we aren't going our way. It's not how we planned. When all we're required to do, all, as if it's that simple. But what God wants us to do is take one step, to follow in faith and in trust, and in that step to wait, trusting that the one who brought us here take us here. He'll take us here. And he'll never leave us or forsake us. Friends, we follow him as our savior, but we also must claim him as our Lord. If we are going to live in the fullness of disciples of Jesus Christ, it's not just enough that Jesus saves us. Oh yes, that is wonderful and we all need that. But that is not the end. That is simply the beginning of a lifelong lifestyle of submission to the one who knows so much more than we do, who has plans for good for us, who is always willing our very best. And in return, just as he did with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he's calling people who are willing to just to step out, to relinquish control of their lives, to take the step and to wait and to surrender
0: Amen